0: Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another week. And thanks for tuning in to another episode. Challenges and opportunities facing Pacifica and Maori youths, with Pacifica and Maori youths statistically more susceptible to suicide and incarceration. The need for greater education, acknowledgement, and support is essential. As an individual of Maori and Samoan descent, Kamea Kirifi Alifa'alogo is on a mission to acknowledge, celebrate, and uplift. Maori and Samoan used to be the best versions of themselves. She wants to educate youths to be aware of the successful Pacifica and Maori people in our communities, to hear their stories of struggle and success, and to be inspired to set and achieve life goals. In October 2019, Kamea became a radio personality on Brisbane's Pacific Island and Maori Youth Radio Show, Pacific Wave on 4EB Radio. Through highlighting Pacifica and Maori artists, Kamea is working towards her goal, which is to uplift as many Pacifica people as possible, while inspiring youths to dream big. Alongside a team of dedicated volunteers, Kamea also started the Brisbane Measles Donation Drive in December 2019, where she raised $3,500 in monetary donations and also sending a 40-foot container filled with donations to Samoa. These donations not only help the people of Samoa with the measles epidemic, but also COVID-19 pandemic. To further her work, Kamea also founded Brown and Busy, which is a platform for like-minded Pacifica and Maori people doing it for themselves, their family and their communities. Tune in as Kamea takes us through her multicultural upbringing and background, the challenges of now living in another country which is Australia, and the importance of youths connecting to their culture. All right, Kumaya, thanks very much for coming on to the show. Uh, and yeah, thanks for joining me. It's exciting to be able to speak to you.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: So do you want to you give us a, I mean, I didn't want to have a crack at, at the last name because I didn't think I was going to do it justice and, and didn't want to insult the, the culture. So do you just want to um, read out your full name?
1: It's
0: Wow, that sounds really good. And so, Tolofa Lava, that's uh, is that welcome in Samoa? Yeah,
1: it's greetings.
0: Greetings. Okay, well, cool. Thank, well, thanks very much for coming along and, uh, and it's great to be able to have a chat with you today. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you grew up, what your background is.
1: Oh, how much time do we have? Because <laughs> uh, uh, so you're
0: Maori and Samoan, right? You've got...
1: Yes, yeah, so I, my background is Māori Samoan, so my mom is Māori, um, Evelyn Matehaere Ruha Hall, and she is from Puro and Te Whanua Apanui on the east coast of New Zealand. Um, my dad is Samoan, his name is Mawala Iwao, Pōlayu Amea and he is from Iwa, Tawai. Um, we also draw lines in Samoa from Vaimoso, Pulauli, and... There's another one that's escaped me, Malie. Um, So that's my basic background. I grew up uh, in a solo parent household with my sister. So it was me, my sister, and my mom. Grew up up in the far north of New Zealand. Uh, Moved around a lot as a solo mom. She was also a substitute teacher. So I changed schools 15 times um, in my youth. So it was a lot. It was a lot. And um, in hindsight as a parent now, I just, I just take my hat off to my mom for being able to uh, not only keep us alive yeah. uh, but she still managed to graduate with her teaching degree, um, still managed to buy a house and you know still managed to give us the best possible life that she could with the circumstances.
0: And so, when when you say fifteen schools, was that like in the one city, or do you guys move around a lot within New Zealand?
1: We moved around a lot, um, and changing schools. Sometimes we went back to a school that we'd been to before, maybe a couple of years prior. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't uncommon for us to change schools every term, just to go where the work was, um, which yeah. is totally yeah. and you totally get. Yeah, you got to do what you do, and I think. For myself and my sister, it really built up our resilience and just our ability to run into a situation and just roll with it. Adapt. You know, just get on with it, yeah.
0: So and, that, and that, was that from preschool all the way through to year 12 uh, or was it yeah, more so, so in the last?
1: My parents divorced when I was four. So I moved to, we were in Auckland first, based in Auckland. I moved to Samoa with him for a while and then they both decided no we shouldn't split because let's put the kids together with my mom um so we we're in Auckland for a couple of years moved up north to the Younger. and then it was kind of around the far north that we moved to different areas and then when I was 14 I decided I just didn't want to be up north anymore and um, we were constantly surrounded by gang life um drugs sex and alcohol and you know i was partying at 12 13 um and i was very upfront and honest with my mom about it her mentality well her whole theory i guess and the way that she raised us was i would rather you be honest with me and tell me what's happening in your life i'd rather there be open communication I feel like you're just going to go out and do it anyway because of the area that we live in. So I would rather you be upfront with me. And I was, I'd be like, mom, I'm, um, I want to go to this party. And I was only 12 or 13 and there was definitely alcohol and there's definitely drugs. And my friends were definitely involved in, you know, sex and things and she knew it. So for her, she's saying, well, either I educate you on how to make the right decisions or, I keep you locked up in the house and, you know, who knows what would happen. Wow. Uh, we kind of talked a lot about it, um, but I did get to that point. I loved school. I, I, always, I was always brought up with education is important, um, both me and my sister. So we thrived in school. We loved learning. We loved reading. So having friends who were into drugs and not into school was really hard. Um, I found myself wanting to still hang out with my friends, but also feeling conflicted because I knew it was just the wrong thing to be doing. Um, and just being a kid, trying to join in the crowd, trying to be cool, trying not to be too different. And um, yeah, I think I decided my auntie asked me if I wanted to move to Dunedin of all places, <laughs> move to Dunedin and down in the South. You know, try to take it seriously, take the school thing seriously. And yeah, I just, I asked my mum and she agreed that it would be the best thing for me just to move out of there and move away from it all and try to do something else.
0: And so how – is your sister older or younger than you?
1: Younger, so I'm the older. Okay.
0: And so it was, a, was it challenging uh, – I mean, in life in the North, you were mentioning uh, drugs, sex, alcohol from a young age uh, and the way that your mum brought you up, which was, you know, the honesty – uh, the path of, of being honest with each other regardless of, of what's going on. Is that how you're mothering as well today? Like, Is, there, is, that, is that a similar pattern in you, even though your kids are still, I, I believe they're younger than 12? Um, but- yeah,
1: my son's 11, my daughter's 5. Um, yes and no, I think because there are components of, because I didn't, I moved back in with my dad when I was 15. Uh, well, sixteen. So the last few years of schooling, I lived with him in Taranaki for sixth form and seventh form, or twelve and thirteen. And his parenting was completely different, total opposite. Like uh, I remember him and my mom um, having a disagreement. So, like they're very civil, they get it. Um, but they had a disagreement because my I was on contraception at the age of sixteen. Like I'd been on it for a long time, and my dad was like, why does she need to be on contraception? She shouldn't be having sex anyway at that age. And my mom's like, don't be naive. Be like, We need Uh-oh. a protector. This is one way to protect her. Um, just don't be naive. You know, this is something yeah. to educate her. And if she does make a mistake, at least she's protected. Yes. And so for me, I, now with kids of my own and with a husband who was brought up in a completely different way as well, yeah. he was brought up in a very strict family household. Um, it's so hard trying to navigate through what parts of their teachings do we apply to our own household, and yeah. does it still apply to today? We have we had these conversations with my son. Yes, we've had conversations where um, the biggest one is, I need you just to talk to me. I need you to tell me when you're not feeling, um, when you feel bullied, or when you feel anxious, or when, or when you like a girl. Yeah. <laughs> just let me know these things because I, I know how hard it is to have these emotions and have these pressures as a kid. So just chat, like, let me know. And so I will ask him random questions. I've taught my son about periods and I've taught him about, um, as a result around the period conversation about miscarriages. I've taught him about suicide. I've taught him about a lot of these things. And I mean, He's very smart. Yeah. He's a very smart kid and very mature. And he's one of those kids who thinks about everything and wants to know why these things happen. So he first asked me about suicide, I believe, when he was nine. Wow. He saw it on a billboard. Um, it was PTSD for returned servicemen. And, um, yeah, and I believe he asked me, he said, Mom, why what does that mean? Because I've seen it around, I've heard it, and I don't understand. All I know is that people say when they return from war that they get really sad and they might die. And so we talked about it. And so now we can have these conversations. And he has had his own mental health struggles. Um, he struggles with anxiety. So he is a victim to that voice that says he, no one wants to listen to what he's got to say. That he's not good enough. So we're going through a lot. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that's uh, uh yeah. I mean, parenting's tough, um and uh and what a strong woman your mum was to to be able to do the best she could, bringing you up through those tough times. Tell me when you All went. We
1: can do as parents,
0: I guess. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, the the rule book. Everyone's got their own way of suggestions of things you should do and shouldn't do, and. So many theories, and and it's. I mean, at the end of the day, you just got to do what what's right for you, don't you? With with you, when you went to Dunedin, uh, was it was life different with your auntie? Was it um,
1: so different?
0: A lot, like <laughs> so stricter, different. like
1: um, very strict. So my auntie is the uh, what is she? She's a manager for the Pacific Island Centre in Dunedin. So she. Just like the name suggests, she manages all of the students that come through that are of Pacific Island background. Um, and being Dunedin, it's very much predominantly Caucasian, Pākehā. So there's only a small community of Pacific Islanders and she is in every single one of them. Um, wow. And she's also she also attends a very strict, um, very traditional Samoan church, Epakasa. And that was my first introduction to living full-time in a Samoan household, because I'd always grown up on my Māori side, and there's a lot of similarities, but there's also just huge differences, I was no longer allowed to have a boyfriend, which I couldn't fathom, like... <laughs> well, because you are what,
0: 14 at this, 13, 14 at yeah, that
1: 14. Yeah, 14, and I was like, what do you mean I can't have a boyfriend, that's so I
0: was, ridiculous. So hey, I was partying, like, and awesome. I boyfriend,
1: and, what do you mean I can't go to my friend's house after school, like... I to come home and do homework <laughs> or uh, it was very much a go to school come home do your jobs. we've got church youth group um, and that was kind of it it was just church home school and it took a while for me to get used to I clearly remember making it to March and ringing my mum crying saying oh I can't do this anymore it's so hard I'm not allowed to do this and I remember her saying, she was like, I'm so proud of you. You've lasted all this time before you finally broke and cried and felt like you were in over your head. And she just encouraged me and said, yes, it's different, but it's a good difference. You wanted a good difference. And this is what you need. You need some structure. You need stability. You need, um, you know, you call it boring now that you have to go to home and church and home and church. But how much of this other stuff is now not in your life? Yeah. You
0: know? And so looking back on it, did you find that that was a bit of a turning point in your life and, and putting you on yeah.
1: the course? 100% because I learnt a lot more about my Samoan culture. Um, I, you know, being part of a church which was full immersion Samoan, coming from a very English-speaking home, um, and both my mom and sister were very fluent in Sereo Māori, Uh, my sister attended a Maori school my mom taught Maori so for me I was always that in between where I kind of understood it but never really spoke it and then with my Samoan side as the eldest I kind of understood it very minimal but never spoke it so now being in a family where they speak it on the daily we go to church on the daily and they only speak Samoan um, it really taught me a lot about my culture and it's awakened my love for Siva Samoa, for performing Samoan dancing. So I just love it.
0: So that's where you really started to learn uh, more about the Samoan culture. But w- was there also a degree of the Maori uh, the Maori culture there as well? Um, in a Dunedin?
1: tiny bit. Um, there at school we had, I'm trying to remember if we had kapahaka, because I always grew up doing you know, multicultural. cultural dance. I I love, I've always loved performing and I've always had this confidence where um, if someone needs a volunteer or if someone wants to do an item that I've always kind of put my hand up for it because I don't, I like it, I enjoy it. Um, But in Dunedin, the Maori side definitely took a back step because it was mainly Samoan around me, but I still managed to join in on multicultural things because I... I grew up around it, and that's kind of what I knew best.
0: And so what were some of the things that really resonated with you around the Samoan culture? Like was it other
2: than
1: oh, food? The, no. oh, the food, the <laughs>
0: dancing, like uh, other than having um, to go to school and church and back home again and not being able to do the partying and boyfriends and stuff? Like what were the, some of the yeah. things that you were like, wow, this is really, really
1: cool? I learned, I feel like I lear- it was a whole year of just learning. Um, and a whole year of chipping away at this attitude you know this entitlement as well that I had grown on because obviously my mum couldn't do too much because she was working and trying to look after us as sole parent and doing the most that she could but it was hard to for us she always gave us a voice to kind of speak up about things but maybe it just wasn't regulated enough to be okay but speak up but be respectful because i learned that very fast in dunedin <laughs> yeah very fast if, if anything i learned to shut up in dunedin um which i needed i needed to learn that there's a time and place for you to speak your mind and there's also a way in which you could do this respectfully without just sounding like an entitled brat who i have an opinion too yeah you're like i have a right to say something and it's like well yes you do but can you this is how you say it respectfully. This is, in our Samoan culture, there's wha'alo'alo, which is respect, and especially for your elders. And it made me realize I didn't show respect to my elders because I was so used to growing up in the single parent household where my mom was just busy all the time with her farm and with her work and with us, just knowing how to do our jobs without being told. And then I moved to Dunedin, and you get these adults who have these expectations that you as a Samoan girl you should know how to do xyz and I didn't and for me it was very frustrating trying to learn these things but also just it was yeah it was great it was definitely a turning point in my life where I learned how to shut up yeah (laughs) learn how to shut up and listen and it's almost like uh,
0: trying to get a filter like developing that filter about when you can say what when's an appropriate time uh but i mean that that respect for elders is really interesting um and so that's something you definitely learn in dunedin
1: yeah and it's because i i didn't realize i thought i respected my mom i thought i but i think all it was was that i just knew that she was my mom and that we had an understanding that I knew her role and she knew what I was supposed to be doing and we understood each other that way and we loved each other regardless like there was always love in the house but moving to Dunedin it made me realise that you have a place and your job in the household is to be a good student, to help your parents, um, to pull your weight, clean up and to do these things around the household um, and the parents job are to make sure that you know, they're still getting to work on time. That they're coming home, and that they're they're all working together harmoniously, not just having this brat on her phone trying to meet up with her friends. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. You know, like just out of a working system.
0: And, and so, uh, so from the north, you went down to the bottom of the south in Dunedin uh, for one year or two. Was it around about a year?
1: It was a one year. It was a very long one year.
2: You got the... <laughs> and
1: then I moved to um, Dunedin. I oh, know I moved to New Plymouth to live with my dad for the last two years of school, so then I moved back to the middle
0: yes and and how was so you went from your mum's uh you know experience with living with your mum in the north down to your auntie in the south back to with your dad in the in uh in the middle how how did uh, and you mentioned he was probably a lot more strict than what your mother mm-hmm. was but compared to your auntie down in the south uh similar was it being
1: was it was totally different altogether as well <laughs> so yeah, with ways? my dad it was strict um but we we're all still like I was still allowed to go to the library after school um in the middle of the city and study I had the freedom of going to youth on my own and hanging out with friends as long as it was really focused on do your schoolwork to the best of your ability um and just be honest so okay. He was very heavily involved in church, but it was a different type of church. It wasn't a traditional Samoan church. It was multicultural, more Pentecostal kind of church. So it was a totally different vibe to what I was used to or what I had grown accustomed to in Dunedin. It was now um, people not so much dressing up in white, crisp, clean church clothes. It was people coming to church in jeans and a T-shirt. Yeah, And okay. I'm like, what?
0: <laughs> a bit more casual laid back
1: yeah and then singing and, yeah singing and dancing and clapping and standing up instead of sitting down with their church hat on and singing from a hymn book and i'm like wow this is totally different and um i really loved it because i'm that person that loves music and you know dancing and stuff but it was definitely a different uh totally different experience
0: and so where did you go after high school
1: after high school, I went to study at Waikato University in Hamilton. I just thought I'd move to a different city again.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to experience more of the country.
1: Yeah. Small culture. Uh, and that was, that was awesome. Waikato was, yeah, a whole experience on its own, really. Or well, university is an experience of its own. I yeah. think everyone's got uni stories.
0: Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, yes. some people forget them because uh, they pretty much, you know um, – binge drank through most of it uh but that's uh it's an interesting culture especially when you know college and stuff when you stay on campus and uh some for some people it's their first exposure to to that independence you know and and living alone uh or with their mates and stuff so okay so what did you study
1: really fast as well because i i feel like living with my mom i already was quite independent and learned really fast how to grow up how to cook how to do your washing and things um, and because growing up with my mom we were we were quite poor um, and we grew up with very limited supplies like we relied heavily on rainwater um, to the point where me my mom my sister would share the same bath water and then like I my, my mom would go first because she'd be in and out and then my sister would go in and then I would go in last because I took my time um, <laughs> and then <laughs> We would use that same bath water. We wouldn't drain it to use that for the toilet to flush the toilet so that we wouldn't use our clean water for yeah. flushing the toilet. Or if it wasn't too dirty, the bath water, we would use that for washing the clothes. Yeah. We put that in the washing machine and wash clothes. So I grew up knowing that as a normal part of life and then moving to Dunedin where they got a washing machine. They can have unlimited time in the shower. You get tuck shop money. And then go to my dad's where it was kind of the same thing sorry that's okay i realized i was connected to facebook on my i'll just close out of it now so that my husband doesn't ring me again Ugh. done <laughs> okay yeah so i grew up with that being a normal and lining up at wins for food and uniform vouchers to moving to houses in the city where oh, you need a new shirt. Yeah, we'll just go buy a new shirt. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can do this. And and I feel like I'm still quite frugal now that, that that's really come over into our lives now where I'm like, no, I don't need a. I will wear the same shoes. I'm fine for the next two years in the same shoes and just making things last.
0: So, um, so you went to university, you've had a, a, an upbringing of so many different cultures and different places, which was really interesting with people having different sort of influences on your life and shaping who you were. Uh, tell me what happened after uni. Did you move then to Australia or did you?
1: I moved to Otara, I was in South Auckland, um, met the love of
0: my life. Oh, great. (laughs) That's where you met your husband.
1: Yeah, so he's Samoan and he was born and bred pretty much in South Auckland and that was a whole other experience of um, learning, well, just finding out what the culture was like in South Auckland because I'd never been there as an adult for long periods of time. I kind of would dip in for a visit and out, but I felt like everyone was so angry, Uh. you know, moving there and especially from Hamilton at uni, where everyone was happy in a small community and, well, half of them were drunk most of the time, but, you know, everyone was this nice feeling of we're away from home as students, so we're all going to bond together and form a friendship regardless of cultures. As soon as I moved to South Auckland, one of the biggest things was um, if something went wrong, it was like, oh, who was it? Were they Tongan? Oh, who was it? Were, were they Barangi? Or oh, who was it? Were they Samoan? Oh, I knew it. I knew they were Samoan. And it was that yes. kind of conversation that would come off that stereotype racism and just angry at the system and just angry people were just so angry all the time and I would walk around like this and people would get angry because I'm walking around like that yeah (laughs)
0: wow so that one would have been a bit of an adjustment then I mean did you fit into their way or did did you just stay your path
1: I always just carry on doing my own thing I feel like if everyone's going to be negative, what's the point? So I try and just be the one positive kind of one nice thought or one nice smile. And I, I feel very strongly that maybe people are having a bad day. And if I could just be that one person to make them smile and, um, you know, make them feel like not everyone is against them or not everyone is horrible, then I've done, you know, I've done a good thing for the day and I've kind of passed that on to my son as well. I've made him, every single day you need to compliment someone on something anything tell them their hair looks nice and it has to be genuine yeah sound like oh, you need to do today or hey those are really cool shoes or um oh you smell nice today what's that like just something yeah. just something to make someone feel like they're noticed and that they smile for a brief second like oh someone actually that's nice yeah you know so
0: I think that's a great mannerism to have, um, and it's really interesting. And so, is is that part of? Uh, that's part of the upbringing there. With that, is that sort of part of the Samoan heritage or the culture, or are you just talking about just in general?
1: I don't think. So. I think um, no, I don't hear many Samoans in general just walking around complimenting each other. Yeah, but I um, I do know that we we're full of love. Yes. As, a, as both the Maori and Samoan culture that it is very, it's a loving culture, but we also are horrible at bringing people down. So horrible at bringing people down that you would almost find on any say, social media post where a Pacific Island person has done something successful. And you will almost always find people of the same culture on that same post commenting just saying something horrible about them. Yeah. You know, We are just always fast to bring our own people down, and we always put it down to, oh, it's just a joke. Yeah, like yeah, yeah
0: lighten up. I was just joking. Okay, yeah, that's it. So, um, so from uh, from Auckland, then uh, how did you get to then to Australia? Like, what at what stage were you? Were you in Auckland for a few years? Got married? Um,
1: yeah. We were there for a few years, and then decided to move to Australia, um, basically just to get more money. Because okay. I was working as a senior receptionist at um, a family doctor's in Mangere and I was earning $18 an hour as a senior receptionist and I thought I was bawling. Like, I was like, yeah, $18 an hour, like I earned more than my mother-in-law.
2: <coughs>
1: so so we made the decision to move to um, Australia. I didn't care where we moved to. Um, at that point, I was living with him and his family Yes. Um, in Otana, and I had been kind of pushing at him and just saying, we should move out. You know, we should move out <laughs> to our own place. And don't you want to have your own rules? And don't you want to be boss of your own house instead of staying under your parents' roof? Um, and then he finally made the decision, yeah, let's, let's actually just move overseas. So I put it into his court saying, you, you choose where we move because I'll go wherever. I know I've got the support of my family. Um, I'm used to keeping in contact with them through phone and visiting every so often, whereas you have only ever lived under your mum and dad's roof. Yeah. So wherever you want to go, we'll go. It, so we chose Brisbane because he's got a lot of family here.
0: I was going to say, uh, I mean, family in, in Samoan and, and Maori as well as I understand it. I mean, family is, is everything, isn't it? Like, it's a big part where they grow up together, they live together, they share the money, they like everything is done for the family. Um, is, that, is that is that the case? And is that what you found hard to take him away from there in Auckland?
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, we're very strong on everyone eats. And sometimes though, to the point where you are pressured to also starve in order to feed everyone else as well instead of um You know, in the beginning, I felt like I couldn't enjoy a steak night out with my family because I knew that some people in my family were still eating noodles. So there's that social pressure of we can't, you can't just be eating that really nice food and enjoying all that money when we're suffering, like you should be sending us money to help us out. Um, You know, and it was hard to juggle because I, I agree, but to a limit. I still want to be able to enjoy my life and I still want to be able to reap the rewards of our hard work and to treat ourselves to a night out but i also don't want my family to suffer i also feel not obligated but i feel like love is giving something to help ease the pain and pressure of them i mean auckland's not cheap yeah no they're expensive
0: yeah like up there with Mm. sydney almost you know with living costs, of living
1: Yeah, definitely. So it was really hard for my husband to step out of that mindset because he is the oldest as well and he's grown up with his three siblings at home and being almost that father figure because their dad worked very long hours and he was at home all the time telling them like, why haven't you done your schoolwork? Yeah. Where have you been? So he was like the parent in the house So when we moved away, it was really hard for him to adjust and even when he was very lucky he got a job like the second day that we got here
0: so, so how, he how old were you guys when you came to australia sorry when you went to brisbane
1: 23 okay i think so i was 31 now um yeah when so came i felt like i was still well, i still feel young
0: <laughs> don't we all i'd uh, say so, so he was uh so he was 20 so he got a job the second day he got here what what, what was he doing when he moved first mo- when he first moved
1: uh, meat processing. So cool. he worked at the, um, what is it called, Progressive in Odehu for a long time, like since school. So he was very lucky that he had that experience under his belt. Um, so we moved over on, yeah, we moved over on the Friday. He started work on the Monday. Wow. And just full time. And we were very lucky that the family we moved in with, um, oh, Atenai, we moved in with her, Atenai Paula and she... Also, I I Thomas Aene, um, and she was the one who helped us out and kind of helped us navigate a new life in Australia, setting up Medicare and bank accounts and TFNs and yeah, he got a job straight away. I didn't get a job for a month and it was really hard.
0: Is that right? Because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're in the, you're still in the medic profession now. Um yeah. do, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the moment?
1: Yeah, so at the moment, I'm providing support for medical staff over, well, right now I'm at home because of COVID, but yeah. <laughs> usually we work in the city. Um, and it's software support. So Genie Solutions is a program that is, I think it's one of the most used programs for medical staff here in Australia. And it's in hospitals and in specialist clinics and in GPs. And it might be a query as simple. It's kind of like IT support but more catered around medical stuff. So they might need help creating a report on how to find out which diabetic patients came in most recently um, and which of them have had this injection, or it might be something as simple, well, not simple, as simple as I can't get into my computer and I've got 20 patients waiting to be seen. I need your help. I can't practice without it. Um, So we'll be on the phone helping them out and stepping them through how to get their practice up and running again. So, um, very busy throughout this yeah. COVID season because especially with the shift in the different ways of providing medical support. Telehealth,
0: so a yeah, A lot of
1: the queries now were more so doctors who were now working without reception staff because they had to let their staff go unfortunately because of the situation and, you know, the loss of income. And then now they were having to figure out how to do this whole different side of the business yep. while still providing care for their patients. So Quite stressful, but I'm glad um, we're all well caught in the area, and we're able to help them out and help them to get the job done.
0: So, uh, so your husband's still working in the meat industry?
1: No, now he's working as a maintenance controller with Kenard Hire. Okay, great. So he, um, yeah, hire company, and he helps to pretty much look after all the equipment and make sure um, deliveries and maintenance of the equipment is all kept up to standard. So. He's been here for two years now and worked his way up to this manager role. And I'm pretty sure he's going to be branch manager in no time. He's, he's a great worker.
0: Yeah, well, that's really that's really good that he was e- easily able to get employment when he first arrived. Um, and obviously, you're both uh, now fully employed and, and you got life going. How long have you been in Australia for now? So,
1: since 2012. Um, okay. So, uh, it will be, oh, it was eight years this year. Wow. Yeah, in March we just missed out on the big flood.
2: Yeah, had, in Brisbane.
1: Thank goodness, but I mean, we're here for all the other disasters. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's non-stop.
0: Yeah, they seem to keep coming, don't they? With, with, yeah. um, tell me, uh, how have you found cultural fitting in, and like the Pacifica communities within Brisbane? Uh, I mean, how how have you found that?
1: I I'm still struggling. I feel like I'm still struggling. I went from I think the biggest thing is I went from being um part of the Sangatafenua and part of a big group of Samoans. There's more Samoans in Auckland than there are in Samoa itself. So I've been part of these big communities where we have funding for programmes where there is people like us on T V and on radio and everywhere you look, there's Pacific Islanders and Maori. Um, there's posters with Maori language on it. It's you know it's it's been part of my life growing up. And then I moved here, and um people, my husband gets profiled as a Maori because he's brown. Like it's like no, he's actually Samoan. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's not Maori. Like everyone who comes from New Zealand's not all Maori. And um, we're we are I'm now part of a minority group, group in with refugees. So it's not just I'm part of the Pacific Islanders and being generalized that way. It's now I'm just part of the imports into Australia. So it's, it's really hard. I think it was hard for me to adjust and I'm, I'm slowly adjusting now to navigating through that, especially now that I've got more of a voice and I've gotten more contacts in the community and have, you know, have been in the community longer is that I've found different platforms and different ways to reconnect and, and doing so connect other people to these groups.
0: I mean, New Zealand seemed to be doing such a great job at integrating the cultures uh, over mm-hmm. there. And when you, when you, when you look, when you go to New Zealand, you come back here, you think, oh, geez, we, we have a long way to go for not only our indigenous uh, here in Australia, but also for, you know, like you said, the minority uh, communities and populations. Uh, I mean, it's uh, something that we need, need to do a lot better. T- tell us what are the what are the key things you think that we need to be doing here? Uh, certainly for the Pacifica population as well. Like what what sort of integrations? What sort of things do you reckon that we need to do a lot better? Is it starting through schools? Is it through um, uh, through other community groups? I mean, I know you're part of a community group as well that you've started up. But it, just tell us a little bit about what you think that uh, how we can do a better job here in Australia.
1: Yeah, um, I think. There definitely needs to be more community groups available. Um, I believe, for example, in Marsden and Logan, I've been told there's only one Pacific Island chaplain to cover about six different schools. And that's just not enough for the youth to feel like their troubles or voices have been heard when they're in school. And for a lot of youth, unfortunately, school is their safe haven. Um, that they can't go home and talk to their parents about troubles that they're having, that they can't go home and feel safe, you know, not just for Pacific Island kids, but for a lot of kids, especially people of colour, unfortunately, who are in these situations. So to have a chaplain who is at least in school who can relate to them, who looks like them and sounds like them, it's, it's such a different feeling, you know, it's when you can see someone and feel like, you remind me of my uncle or you remind me of my auntie the way that you talk to me and that you know my mannerisms and you get my jokes and you you know that person, that sports star I'm talking about or you know that movie that I'm talking about. We can never laugh about it and I feel comfortable with you as opposed to someone who is Australian, who means well, 100% means well and is there for the right reasons, but can't culturally connect. Mm. And that's not their fault. And that's the hardest bit is just trying to stress that it is not your fault that you don't understand or that you can't comprehend our culture because it's so complex. But the fact is, is that that's a huge part of our life. Huge part of our life and something as small as eye contact. It's so disrespectful for our youth to look at adults in the eyes because for that, that's like challenging them. Whereas in... You know in normal western society is rude yeah so rude not to make eye contact like i'm talking to you look at me uh, in the eyes yeah. and for a youth you know for our for for speaker youth who are like oh my gosh, i want to but i i've been ingrained yeah to know that it's disrespectful to look at you in the eyes especially when you're trying to teach me something or i've done something wrong so it's something like that where it's confusing it's just missing just missing right there that connection and for that teacher or that person to feel like oh this kid's got no respect yeah. honestly I've been trying to talk to him or her and he doesn't even have the decency to look at me in the eyes and the poor kid is like oh that's so confusing yeah <laughs> okay he's forcing me to do something that i was been taught from a young age not to do
0: yeah yeah so we still have a way to go with that cultural education and even that just awareness that different yeah. is not necessarily bad right it's just a you <laughs> got to be respectful that it is different and and just having that awareness is really important
1: and then there's also like it's not like there are no programs available for specific speaker people to enroll in to come and do these roles i just feel like we don't have enough people advocating for them to do it to say that um hey, this is what we're actually missing in the community, you'd be great for that role. Or have you thought about doing this before? Because we don't see our faces and
2: Mm. we
1: don't hear our voices on these billboards or in these advertisements or in the pamphlets. Um, We don't necessarily have these outreach groups coming out from the universities or from TAFE to say, um, hey, island boy. Yeah. (laughs) that, there are these positions available, and there are these courses available that you would be great for. Yeah. It's just let's have a talk about it.
0: Missing that proactiveness, you know, for people to actually yeah. take charge and and help guide people.
1: I get that. There's only so much volunteers can do, and I know there are yeah. volunteers out there trying, trying their best, but severely outnumbered, and just a lack of funding. And they probably have full time jobs, a full time study themselves, trying to work this in to make a difference but it's just not hitting the right ears.
0: so are there any other challenges uh that you find in the uh the pacifica communities in you know being a minority in a a larger culture or country sorry What, what what are some of the challenges either whether it's youth growing up that you're seeing or whether it's you know adults fitting in what's some of the challenges of being here um and trying to adjust
1: There are a lot of challenges in general not so much just being in australia itself i i feel like there is definitely a disconnect from the culture um as a result of being away from more cultural central places like new zealand is yeah. huge on culture um unless Unless you, I feel like unless you are part of a Pacific Island community like a like a Samoan church, then you're not going to hear Samoan language around you, um, because I'm or oh, the radio station I'm part of, for EB Radio, we have it is a multicultural ethnic community radio station. So we've got Cambodian and Laos, and we've got um, what is it? Niuean and and So like all these different languages have got time slots on the radio, but just like my show, which is only an hour long once a week, and it's like, oh, what can we do for just <laughs> one hour <laughs> once a week? And try and like the most, I feel like the most effective way of reaching out to people, which is something like radio. That um, we're very limited in that. There's no yeah. TV programs catered to this demographic, um, despite how large. Of a population we have in the country, um, there's no dedicated radio station to just play, um, you know, these, this kind of music and this kind of sound. It's, whereas if you go into New Zealand, there's MyFM Flavor, was it 531 PI? There's NewFM, there's all these radio stations that have been set up where you can hear our language all the time, not just for one or two hours a week. And I think. For me, I feel like that's a huge gap because our people are so creative and musically talented and very artsy. So we're missing out on having that platform to express it. I mean, just here in Brisbane, we've had so much new talent come out ever since the whole 1-4 and HB Boys started being famous and showing that, hey, look, we're making it on the rap scene uh, or the hip-hop scene. Now all of a sudden, people are coming out People are coming out and making more music, but you don't hear it on mainstream radio. Um, it took one one group, for example, Enemy, No Money Enterprises. They were number one in New Zealand, number one on the ARIA charts, and they still aren't being played on something like Nova or um, you know those kind of radio stations. You'll hear it occasionally on Triple J, but they're not getting any airtime and we don't understand. And for us, we feel like, what do we need to do to... Get airtime yeah. when we've been recognised on the ARIA charts number one for weeks, and New Zealand top single for weeks, and you won't play it once on a mainstream radio station.
0: And Kamai, you, you mentioned the radio station that you have that hour slot each week. Is that is it is it targeted for the youth or is it just general for the Samoan?
1: Our show culture? in particular is for youth, okay, and it's uh, Maori and Pacific youth. So. We try, we only play music, music, music exclusively by Māori Pacific artists. And we speak to people who have got a platform, like um, most recently is Mark Hunt or Thoreau Tapa or, um, you know, sports Stars, musicians. We try and bring them into the spotlight. And I always break it up into two segments. The first part of the interview will be, tell us about your upbringing so that people who are listening, who follow you, can relate to you that they can be like oh yeah that's that's how I grew up or like oh cool you grew up with three sisters too that's like me and you know these are the things that I went through as a kid and then the second part is talking more about your career you know why you've got such a big platform now and giving advice to the youth listening and it's a way of us trying to encourage people that you think these guys are so famous and you think you know you put these guys on a pedestal And yes, they make a lot of money, or yes, they've got 100,000 followers, but they're normal people, just like you and me. Like, they've got um, houses where they have seven sisters and brothers and five aunties who live with them, or they've got houses that um, they weren't allowed to talk during from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock because it was prayer time, or all this kind of stuff. Like, they've got an upbringing similar to you, and they've made it, which means you can make it too. It like There is hope for you. You just need to believe in yourself.
0: Seems to be something you're very passionate about is that um, giving that hope uh, to the youth. Uh, and is that something that gave you the inspiration with the Brown and Busy um, side yes. of things as well? So tell us a little bit about that.
1: So I started Brown and Busy in the beginning. It was more so just to develop a network of like-minded people who were brown and busy Um, And it didn't necessarily mean you owned a business. It might have been the solo mom with four kids and three of them are representative rugby players and she also bakes on the side. So it's like she's, she's juggling all these hats and she sometimes feels flat and sometimes feels like she's outnumbered in the different circles she might be traveling in. But at least in Brown and Busy, you feel like you're surrounded by people who are going through similar situations and just trying to keep each other motivated and trying to push each other and to be reminded that your culture makes you stronger, like who you are makes you stronger, that you don't need to suppress it to fit into these molds and that to be a successful makeup artist, you don't need to hide your culture to fit into mainstream Australian makeup artistry, that you can bring your flair to it Yes, that this is you and we should celebrate you being you and we should celebrate your successes and we should encourage each other when we're going through our lows because who knows you better than someone who's been through the exact same situations as you culturally and your upbringing so that was the big reason on Brown and Busy why I started it and then I it was my son he asked me if he could bring um, my friends a hairdresser constantly changing my hair and he, my son is like, can we bring my friend to Uncle Terry's house, the hairdresser, um, one time because Uncle Terry's offered to teach me how to, you know, sweep up the hair and do all these things. But my friend doesn't have uncles like that and he really wants to be a barber. Mm. And it made me feel like, oh my gosh, my kids are so lucky that they have two parents who are driven and ambitious and you know, for myself who I travel for work and I engage in the community and I do all these things and I talk about entrepreneurship and talk about making dreams come true into goals kind of thing. Whereas a lot of kids don't get that. They have a parent who, like my husband was brought up by, go to school, I go to work, do your job. That's it. Like, leave me alone. I don't want to talk about anything else. You're dreaming. That's not our role. When you finish school, go to work. That's what I want to hear. Yeah. And that's very common in our culture. We don't grow up with a lot of parents who are like, hey, you know what? We're going to have a family barbecue. Your uncle's a lawyer. Your auntie you know, works at an accounting firm. So we're thinking we're going to get you um, a job over summer to do this and this. It's more common to hear your uncle and your auntie work at the factory and they say that you can go in and work at the factory during summer. Like it's not a career opportunity. It's just we all work at the factory. So that's what you're going to do. Why would you want anything different? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what my son made me realize was that a lot of kids in our culture don't have adults around them who tell them that they can do something, that yeah. they can be someone else. So I wanted to bridge that gap with Brown and Busy. So a lot of events that I'm planning are more catered around trying to encourage and inspire, and, um, inspire youth.
0: Yeah. What an incredibly, uh, amazing thing that you're doing, uh, both with the Brown and Busy, but also Pacific wave and the radio show. Tell us about the challenges that you, the youth, um, certainly in the Pacific or a Maori, uh, it, um, relation uh, as it relates, sorry, to mental health or challenges that they're having growing up. What, what do you see? Um, obviously they're susceptible to more suicide uh, rate, higher suicide rates, sorry. Um, but you you Tell us a little bit about that because i will be really intrigued to hear from your perspective how the youth are doing and what their biggest challenges are.
1: Yeah, um, suicide rates are super high for us, and I feel like, like I, I don't know if this is statistic, but I feel like it's a lot to do with the pressure of with someone, especially we have this big thing on shame and bringing pride to your family and carrying your dad's name or carrying the legacy of your family. So if you get pregnant out of wedlock or if you fail your grades or if you don't make that rugby team, um, your poor parents, oh, like, oh, they raised her so well and she still couldn't get it right. Oh, the shame. Let's talk as a church about it. Let's talk as a rugby team about it. Like let's all talk about it and make her family feel embarrassed for her mistake um and then it's that social pressure it's that whole i'm bringing shame to my family which is a huge contributor to our suicide our rate of suicide and i know plenty of horror stories where um girls have fallen pregnant at university and literally thrown their baby away as soon as they have had baby and not told anyone about them i've got family members Um, who has been pregnant and has been hidden away in their room so that no one else can see that they're pregnant and then all of a sudden they show up for a barbecue with a baby and we're like where did the baby come from and no one really asks questions because they're like we didn't even know that she was pregnant or that she was home all this time you just hid her away Mm. but okay and you kind of just roll with it but at the same time you feel that shame and a lot of it is handed down from generations before us where it was a very strong um, religious culture plus a very strong culture, Samoan culture. And you've merged them together and there is just no room to breathe. There's no room for, um, well, maybe she made a mistake and now she's got a baby and she's still a human being and you still love her, right? And they're Like, yeah. And half of the parents would say, yeah, of course like, yes, she sucked up. Yes, this was not planned, but we will still love her regardless, except half of the time the youth are so scared to say that they've made this mistake because there is no communication. There is no talking about this stuff, that they bury themselves in this whole thought process of I'm bringing shame to my family. I can't face them. I can't do this to them. It's better off that I'm not here. Um, And it's huge, There's that. And then there's also just the whole it is weak to speak um, mentality that boys need to be that toxic masculinity where these men, are. our men in the Pacific are the strongest men in the world and that's tough and they're big and brawly and the yeah. tattoos and, you know, the big hitters on the rugby field and we don't cry, but right? we don't talk about emotions. And if anything, you hear them all the time. Like that's gay. <laughs> like there's this, Homophobia mixed with toxic masculinity, and as soon as you start actually feeling these emotions and not being able to share it with anyone, with fear of judgment, it builds up, and that's why the rate of, you know, men's suicide is so high. And our community here, we've had so many men pass away from from suicide, and a lot of it is to do with stuff like not being able to handle um, divorce or not being able to handle the social pressures of their family because they've lost their job you know things like that and they just don't know how to handle or don't know how to communicate their feelings and can't talk their way through it and it's so bad
0: it is it's so real isn't it and um is it the expectations that they put on themselves or is it the expectations that are passed down like their families have of them? Is it, like, is it uncommunicated expectations that they think is something that they, they're not living up to or is it the expectations are there, they've been communicated and I haven't lived up to them or is it a bit of both?
1: Yeah, I'd say it is a bit of both. Um, there are definitely, I know families that are definitely still very traditional and um, they don't they don't express love, let alone sadness. Um, They still believe that you can pray the gay away, um, that you can just go to church and pray and you'll be happy Mm. and not know that maybe it is a medical imbalance or maybe they do need medication and medication is not you being weak or speaking about something is not being weak, that there's a lot of just misconceptions about what mental health looks like and what healthy communication looks like. Um, I've got a good friend, Priscilla Alovili, who runs an organization called Alovili Home. And she, I went to Tonga with her last year and did her makeup. So I sponsored that component because I just believe so heavily in her organization. Um, and she's all about bringing awareness around mental health in the Pacific Islands. And for herself, she shares her own mental health journey. She's repeatedly attempted to commit suicide she's surrounded by love but it just happens all the time and she speaks on her experiences She's um, shared her stories of self-harm she's shown video clips of where she's had panic attacks and then you'll see her the next day and she's smiling and she's happy and yeah. encouraging people and trying to just show that there's no just because I'm happy all the time doesn't mean I actually want to be here on this earth or that I love myself because it's the complete opposite. Um, and I love the awareness that she's bringing to the islands and she's using her platform by competing in pageants because she's stunning. She's absolutely beautiful inside and out and she will compete in pageants. and every chance she gets to talk, she will talk about mental health and how, how much it needs to be addressed in the Pacific islands and it's beautiful it's just an amazing job that she's
0: doing it's great having people like that leading the way uh and certainly sounds part of the you know with your pacific wave um certainly with that program it sounds like getting people on the show to talk about how real they are and they have similar challenges to the youth that are growing up or they did have when they were growing up uh and just to know that it's okay um i mean it's it's really amazing that uh uh, and it's a great way to do it. So w- what a great job you're doing with that. Um, so obviously you're doing makeup. That's the way you're doing your, your creativity and your, the artist within you is, uh, I mean, you love makeup's a passion. Um, so you, you go and do that for big shows in Sydney, uh, over in, um, in Auckland too, I believe. Is that right? For the, yes. was it the And um, In um,
1: Sydney, it was Pacific Runway. Yes. Uh, which, which I agree with. It's been uh, described as the Met Gala of the Pacific. Um, and then there was a Tahua fashion show, which was in Auckland last year in August. And I was the two I see for that one. I've also been a lead makeup artist for one here in Brisbane. Um, yeah. It's, I love it. I love the chaos.
0: The pressure <laughs> and the chaos.
1: Yeah, I work really well under pressure and, I I think that's what really helped me in the GP world as well when I was working Mm. um, both in reception and as a practice manager because you need to be able to handle pressure if someone's going to walk in off the street with anaphylaxis and can't breathe properly. So I need to be able to think under pressure and be able to let the doctor know that that this is happening, let the receptionist know to call the ambulance with this code and Mm. be able to grab things out without freaking out and so that background also that whole change up and changing growing up um really helped me to just ease into it when it came to makeup backstage for fashion shows where girls are freaking out because they've literally got 15 seconds to get dressed into another outfit and quickly change something and push them onto the stage so love it
0: yeah well it's uh i mean it's great that you you, you seem to have uh your fingers in so many different pies um and, uh, and seem to be very busy, so we definitely appreciate your time with us today. Who, who's someone that's inspired you throughout your journey so far?
1: Um, my parents are really big inspiration for me. Uh, my dad is the rugby development officer for Taranaki, and he has just always been someone in my life who, even though we didn't grow up together, stayed in contact but we reestablished that connection later on in my teenage years but he's always been someone who thinks first speaks later and when he speaks it's always from a point of love and he's always taught us to love everyone and to just be the light and be someone who can make a difference in someone else's life um to be humble as well and be happy and for my mom, she's just an, she's just a huge inspiration for just making it through all those years with a smart ass daughter like me. Mm. So, like, <laughs> um, she's my inspiration. My siblings are my inspiration. My sister is now, um, she's been in the police force for a number of years. And she, she's she in New Zealand anyway. still? Yeah, right, so yep. she's based in Auckland. Oh, good. Um, you know, and as a cop, she patrols in Otara. So she's so she's awesome. She'll even like show up to my in-laws' place just to say hello and to show the neighborhood there's a cop car there and keep this house, you know, safe. And she does that on her own accord. And she's um, working towards being a detective. And she's amazing. She's doing amazing in the force. I've got another brother who plays for um, the Hurricanes, who's doing a great job with them. And then another brother who's studying in Dunedin, and another brother who's finishing high school. So. For me, my siblings and my parents just inspire me so much yeah. and they make me want to work harder and, um, yeah, just just to be the best that I can be.
0: Yeah, well, it certainly sounds like they've all uh, had a big role in shaping who you are today and it's definitely someone that's been super inspiring and doing some amazing things for the community uh, and, um, and for your family. So, uh, incredible journey uh is there any uh final words you want to you want to say are there any um as we wrap up are there any are there any final thoughts you want to say or anything that you want to shout out to how can people get in touch with you
1: um well you can definitely feel free to get in touch with me on um, instagram or facebook or even youtube i just started a youtube channel because i wasn't busy enough um wow
0: (laughs) what's that about
1: Uh, Uh, it's, it's just vlogging, So it's really, um, I used to document a lot of stuff on Instagram, just in my stories, just following me around and, um, someone, quite a few people were saying, why don't you just put this into vlogs? Because we actually like following your journey and stories. So it would be nice if you just mush it all together in the video. So I try and do those weekly. I'm up to week five now. Um, but I honestly, most of it's eating. I'd be
2: honest,
1: <laughs> just eating. But um, in in seriousness, I really encourage people to, if you have questions about someone else's culture, and I've had this a lot because I've worked in so many different industries, and um, I just encourage you to ask. Just if you if you have a question or you're curious about something, don't be too worried about offending or coming across as ignorant or coming across as racist because education is key and just knowing having the knowledge and just wanting to know like how do i how do i say your name like you've asked me before and um what does your name mean or where do you actually come from and is that a cultural thing you don't be afraid to ask people because you won't know unless yeah. you ask and google is not the best mm-hmm. like you're not going to go home and google it it's, it's not the most reliable source of information um and Personally, I know that a lot of us in our culture, we love teaching others about our culture. And as much as there are negative components in every culture, Samoans and Maoris and pretty much all of Pacific Islanders were built heavily on love and family. So knowing that we've brought someone from a different culture pretty much into our family is the best feeling ever. We love it. Um, And then also just be kind. You don't know what people are going through. Um, you don't know if that person's had a bad day if they've left home and their wife was yelling at them to take the rubbish out for the 20 millionth time and just got them off on the wrong foot yes. so be kind to people it, it doesn't take much to just smile and say hello or to um, just give someone a compliment make someone feel nice it makes you feel nice
0: yeah well I think it's a, there's some great words and thanks uh, for those final words Kamaya Karifi, it's been an absolute pleasure to be able to have the chance to talk to you, uh, and certainly, um, as I said before, inspiring to see all the things that you're up to, uh, and the interest uh, and leadership that you're showing for the Pacifica and Maori populations or the communities certainly within Brisbane and through the radio uh, and the brand and busy stuff that you're doing. Uh, it sounds like you're busy, uh, and you have plenty on, and uh, as well as a, a mum, two kids, so. Um, so congratulations and thanks very much for having a conversation with us today
1: thank you for the opportunity
0: is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast are there more questions you want the answers to let us know what you want to hear get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au. And be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.